Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. Um, just as we start off, I, I want to make it clear I am actively working on the 2018 version of the Bloke and the Bird Motorsports Calendar. By actively working, do you mean that you have opened the calendar program? No, I, I've, I've done more than that. I've actually built it out. Um, I, I have it all set with the um, Formula One calendar. I have it all set with the IndyCar calendar. I have it all set with the WEC calendar. I have not done the Formula E calendar yet. Now, I have to put forward some disclaimers, some, some important legal disclaimers. First of all... Wait a minute, what did the lawyers <clears throat> say we had to say now? Well, first of all... The calendar that we are producing is for reference purposes only, and that the Bloke and the Bird Show <clears throat> is not responsible for um, you missing flights, missing events, um, <clears throat> problems with alerts, time zone confusion issues, any of that stuff. It is strictly for reference purposes only so that you have a general idea of when the events are. <clears throat> That's number one. Number two is the dates and times provided on the calendar are 100% solely dependent on the information that the individual series have provided on their own websites. <clears throat> so we have really great information for Formula One. We know all the times that they're going to be, and, and it's all the local times for the event. We've got all the times for all the free practices, for the qualifying, for the, we, we have all of that stuff. When we get to IndyCar, IndyCar doesn't have all of that information for all of the races published on their website. Some of the information is clearly wrong. Okay. <laughs> because it's not possible that... A practice session is going from 12 p.m. to 12 p.m. No. They've done that for a few uh, a, a few of them. And others, they don't even have it published at all. Okay. <clears throat> Same thing with WEC. WEC d does not provide most of their schedule information on their calendar as of yet. And the only time that they tend to post is when the first practice session is going to be for the weekend. Okay. Not helpful. So there are some estimates there for WEC. Um, have to are get... these clearly delineated <clears throat> in the various things as an estimated time? Well, in, in the case of we're guessing with WEC, those are all-day events. Okay. That way it's, it's on this day. We know there is an event. <laughs> Sometime this yeah. day. It, it'll be when you least expect it, but it's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> For Formula One, everything is there. For IndyCar, all that I've got in there is the actual race itself. Um, however, there are notes, in, and, and again, this only applies to the American audience, clearly. Uh, but th there is in the note for each one of those which network is broadcasting the event. Hey, because that's cool. That's important. It, it, well, it is for IndyCar since they bounce between two different networks. Um, now, do you have one other? You've listed off that you need to add Formula E's schedule to your schedule. Mm -hmm. Are you also adding the EMSA races? Um, I wasn't, but I can. 
I would add the IMSA races, mostly because we will be at an IMSA race. Okay, but I'm not like adding all the classic Grand Prix dates and stuff like that, even though we're we're doing one of those too. No, no, no. But okay. we're going to an IMSA race. Okay. <laughs> I, I can put that in there. One th- and, and the other thing I got to put out there, and, and we'll talk about it later, is the information that is in our calendar is current as per the series website. So if the series changes a date and has not updated their website when I produce the calendar, it may not be reflected. Now, your calendar will not update if you then move dates in the future. Like when we see a particular date change. If we remember to do that, because what's, what's going to end up happening is, is um, I'm going to take, after I've built out this calendar, I'm going to export it as... Uh, an ICS file, which is your standard calendar importable file. Put so, that up on the website. So you'll have that file from the calendar as built. In order to go and take those changes, I then have to export the calendar again and replace the file. So this isn't like a live feed or something like that. We, we haven't worked out that technology yet. Okay. I, I'm assuming that it is not hard technology to work out because I do it with our school's band calendar. Um, yeah, it's but an the, RSS feed. But the school builds that out and has that together. I don't know if our website provider gives that to us. Remember, our website provider strictly limits us on what we can do. And this is Good a point. preview to the fact that you are unhappy with our website provider. I, th- I think we are starting to have some other needs. Other needs. That's um, vague. Anyway moving on okay so So, you have produced a calendar that is not yet public but might be public by the time that we're actually talking about this and they're listening to the podcast therefore it could be old news go us we are now producing no that's not true that's not true at all and for starters i don't even know if i'll have the calendar up by the time actually i probably will not have the calendar up and available but i did want to provide an update because you beat me up on it last week that it hadn't even been started yet so it's not old news. I just figured you were so close to being done that it would probably go up about the same time as the podcast. But are you suggesting that you may have it up by the time, I don't know, free practice of uh, the practice in Barcelona it, starts? It, yes, it'll definitely be up by the time practice in Barcelona four races into the season. <laughs> definitely it will be up by then. No, How about testing? It, it should be up before testing. My, my hope is that I will have it up towards the end of next week but I did want to get those disclaimers out there that you know there there are some limitations because not all the series are as good as Formula One in providing the full schedule in advance of the weekend you know I think that's a really um shocking development (laughs) (laughs) I think it's poor marketing I mean if you want people to watch your race you might want to let them know when it is well one of the things you got to keep in mind and and yes it's it's worse for some series like WEC is their terror their website is terrible for this kind of stuff but if you're somebody like indycar where typically the only thing that's broadcast all weekend long is the race itself mm-hmm. with maybe some streaming being done yeah it's probably not as big a deal to put out when the practice sessions are because nobody's i mean they're not even streaming the practice sessions anywhere um <clears throat> they're not streaming practices in live nation in their indie nation i don't well there might be some audio i know that they do it for the qualifying they have streamed that 
Um, what they do in the IndyCar app, and you have to, that's the other thing, is with the IndyCar app to get the live commentary and live timing and scoring and all of those bits and pieces, you have to be a Verizon Wireless subscriber. If you're not a Verizon Wireless subscriber, you don't get all of those features. Yes. So that may be the other reason why they're not providing that info. That's very interesting. And narrow-minded. But over to Formula E, because I'm working on the Formula E calendar, and the next event is March 3rd in Formula E. They, they've already had four events. They, they were in Hong Kong, uh, round one and round two were one day after the other. Then they went to Marrakesh and Morocco and Santiago, Chile. Their next stop is in Mexico City at the Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez. We know that. that that's not the, the thing that's of note. As I went to do some research on so I could find the times and put it in the calendar, I came across this note on the page of information from Formula E. It says, Formula E, in coordination with the government of Mexico City, have announced that revenue from tickets of the CDMX EPRI at the Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez will be donated to the reconstruction tasks of the Mexican capital after the earthquake of September 19th. Tickets are now available and can be purchased with a donation of 50 pesos. Wow. Yeah. Okay, that's, that's cool. <laughs> that's kind of cool. I, I, I give a gold star to the Formula E series for doing that. Um, I, I, you know, we talked a little bit about when they went to the Mexican Grand Prix um, for Formula One about the fact that the city was in shambles. And yes, the track was unharmed. But, you know, how sensitive is that to go try to descend on a population that needs to repair and rebuild? Now, to, to put this in perspective in terms of just costs, and now we know that Mexican pay, an individual Mexican peso is not, doesn't have a whole lot of mon- value compared to the U.S. dollar. 50 pesos, which is the entrance price for tickets, works out to all of $2.65 to wow. go see the Mexican E-Prix. $2.65? I wonder what Paddock Club costs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's got to be like 10 whole dollars. (laughs) Wow. Now, I'm assuming that's like non-reserve seating. You you get to sit on the side of the berm and watch this. Um, This isn't over in the stadium. But still. Yeah. You can't get lawn seats at Silverstone for $2.65. No. You're probably starting with about 50 pounds for Uh, lawn seats. I want to say that they dropped the price for lawn seats to 45 pounds. Okay, I was close. You were close. Um, Because they were trying to get it so that a family could go for around that 100-pound mark. Mm -hmm. Um, Because kids, kids under a certain age do get in free. Um, yeah. Silverstone. So I think they were thinking dad and a couple of kids could do it for 100 pounds. So other Formula E news. So Formula E has this system called Fan Boost. I don't know if you're familiar with this. I've no had it since the beginning. So what Fan Boost is, is 
it, it's a fan voting system where in advance of the race within a certain window, fans get to log on to whatever the website is and vote for their favorite driver. The driver who wins the vote gets the fan boost during the race, which is an extra 100 kilojoules of energy that can be used in a power window for 190 to 200 kilowatts up from the regular race output of 180 kilowatts. So basically, if you're popular with the fans and you win the fan boost vote, you get more power in your car. They give you an extra battery? I mean... No, it, it boosts the output from the battery. Wow. Okay. Is it an effort to... In- put fan involvement like driver of the day for Formula yes One, it, it is specifically to promote fan involvement to to maximize the experience of the fan in formula e okay so if you get more power so unlike driver of the day where you get nothing out of it mm-hmm. you get a trophy at the yeah. end of the season trophy woo. <laughs> um you get you could actually like change the outcome of the race. Yes, this can impact the race because you have fan boost. Ooh. So who's the most popular driver? Well, before we even well, and, and I don't even know who who's getting it right now. It it changes with every race. Um however, Audi Formula E driver Daniel Apt, um, he doesn't like the system. I can't imagine. He has looked around and he has said, Cheater, cheater, cheater. Oh, he did. Because this is all online. Mm. So think about, okay, for, for Americans, think about American Idol and the controversy that has surrounded the fan voting for American Idol. There's been controversy? Yeah, many years ago, folks were using bots and automated systems to boost the voting vote numbers for specific contestants. Okay, so this is assuming that Formula E has the fan base and a specific driver would have the fan base large enough and uh, intense enough to build a bot to game the system. Well, A, it's not hard to build a bot. And if you don't have a big fan base, the bot doesn't have to necessarily work very hard. True. If you think about it, well, and, and, and apparently there have been accusations that there are flaws in the system in the past. Um, however, Daniel Apt uh, last week made a video blog to fans uh, saying that, I know you work your arses off to vote for me, and I'm working my arse off to get you involved. But then there are some drivers who manage to cheat a bit. I'm not saying it because I'm a sore loser. I'm saying it because I know it. Somebody told me about it. Definitely there's something wrong. We were in front with the votes for the Santiago race the whole time, but suddenly some drivers got a lot of votes overnight. Strangely, all the votes are from 12 cities in China. They must have an awesome fan base there. Formula E knows about it, but they can't do anything because they cannot prove it properly. This is a catastrophe. I was getting really upset about it. Well, So Alejandro Agag, the chief of Formula E, has come back and responded to Daniel. Basically, he said, no, we're not. Nobody's cheating. Stop it. <laughs> um, 
What he says is that the FanBoost system is constantly monitored and reviewed to ensure user verification and credible results. We've continued to improve the system since it was implemented in the first ever season of Formula E, adding further layers of authentication to the voting process, following suggestions from the teams. Well over a million fans have voted for their favorite driver, and we see this number growing as the popularity of the series increases. The system is very reliable, and drivers shouldn't waste time in questioning the validity of FanBoost. He claims that Daniel has also apologized for his comments, but we haven't seen it publicly. Okay. Apparently, there's like, you, you, you now, you can't just like tweet a, a response and say, hey, I like this guy. You've got to like log in and create an account and check off the captcha and, you know, give a DNA sample and all of those various things. It's the DNA sample that slows the bots down. It does. So, it, a little it's bit of having to blow into the microphone of your laptop that that's a problem. Well, yeah, it's kind of gross. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, on one hand, points for trying to get the fans involved, but yeah, it's always risky that somebody could game the system. Yeah, well, not only that, but when you do it online, there's always that risk that somebody figures out one other way to go and automate and, and stuff a ballot box. Well, yeah. But how would you do it not online, just for the people that are actually attending the race? You know, that that's not necessarily a bad idea if you can tabulate them quickly enough. Well, you'd have to do like a voting boxes at the entry or something yeah so that it could electronically do that yeah don't know maybe with a dna sample or fingerprint or something <laughs> so that somebody can't vote twice but but it's one reason to to ha or, or one more way to help build your attendance numbers it when you come you actually get to have an influence on the race and support your driver but the converse of that is if you're trying to expand your viewership fan base because, yeah. you know, not everybody can go to Hong Kong, um, you're cutting their involvement. Not everybody can go to Hong Kong or, you know, some of the other – or Santiago, Chile or, or Marrakesh. But remember the one thing about Formula E that they have over every other series – they are more accepted in the urban core of cities to run their races because they're electric and because they're not as loud. Right. That's why they're doing a race in, in the middle of Rome. That's going to be a cool-looking race. Um, yeah, I mean, I get that part, too. So they can, But then you've got issues of being able to control entry. Yeah, you know, like how do you do that to get the voting taken care of and things like that? Yeah. All right. So IndyCar talked about Formula. You know, let's talk a little about IndyCar. This past week, we we obviously because we're not following it as closely as we necessarily should be. We knew there was definitely one test this week. There were actually two different tests this week. The beginning of the week, there was road course testing out in Sonoma. 
Okay. You're familiar with Sonoma. We, we've driven past it many times. <laughs> in our pre, in the wee hours of the morning, yes. In, in our pre-motorsports days, we have driven past it many times. <laughs> um. <laughs> I remember, you know, since we didn't have air conditioning, laying there listening to it. The no, that wasn't, that wasn't Sonoma. That was Petaluma. Oh, was that was the dirt track in Petaluma, you, you heard, not the raceway out in Sonoma. Okay. There's, there were a couple of hills in a way that blocked that noise. I just remember noise. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there was one test that was road course testing out in Sonoma, and later in the week was oval testing for IndyCar out in Phoenix. Yeah, I got a notification on my phone from the Indy app. Yeah. Um, well... The road course test was really the first time the teams have gotten to get out there and drive uh, the new aero kit package in full racing trim on a road course. Ooh. And while we've heard some really good things about the aero kit, the new kit, there it turns out they've got a bit of a problem. Uh-oh. So Tony Kanan has said that They've got about 200 pounds of downforce that have been removed with this. He said, you feel it missing everywhere. From braking to turn in to power down, there's less. Now, talking specifically about taking this car out at Sonoma, he said, this track has always been really hard on tires. But with less downforce, your problems are coming sooner. Tires were sliding less when we had a lot of downforce with the air kits we had the past three years. Now you've got to really manage the tires, and that's because of the downforce being reduced. Now he goes on to say, I don't want anyone to think it's because Firestones aren't good. The degradation occurs because you don't have the aero grip pushing you into the track. You're sliding across the surface more and right away, so the tires start degrading sooner. It's hard to go flat through the chicane on worn tires, and it gets harder and harder each time through. Now, he does say that the track is quite green right now, and they only have half the usual number of cars there, and it should improve. Um, but there's a lot of concern about how much degradation they're seeing from these tires. Now, it does not sound that they are at the level of Formula One's high degradation tires from three years ago, mm. four years ago. But this was something that apparently they weren't expecting. Wow. Yeah. Tire controversies has never been something that uh, Indy has really enjoyed in these last couple of years that we've been watching. Well, for, I mean, from and, and those comments came from Tony Kanaan. From Tony's comments, it doesn't sound like they are blaming Firestone and they're blaming the tires. It's just this idea of we've changed the car and it's having knock-on effects elsewhere and we've got to plan for that. As opposed to, oh my God, these tires are exploding and it's unsafe and 200 miles into a rouge. And imagine what could happen. Well, unacceptable. That was a little bit dramatic. Unacceptable. What are we doing here, honestly? <laughs> you don't do a good battle. I'm sorry. You just don't. Um, the other big debut that happened this week, and, and we teased this last week, was. Um, at the oval testing in Phoenix, Scott Dixon went out with the aero screen. That's right. It was rookie testing at Phoenix, and they rookie tested the aero screen. Yes. Um, unlike Formula One's testing of the aero screen, where they did an installation lap and Seb came in and said, this is crap, Scott Dixon actually ran it quite a bit. So his comments on this, he says... 
There's no game stoppers. It's a little bit different looking through something that's so thick, but I thought it would be worse with distortion, but there was nothing like that. The two side effects he did point out, he said, one is the weirdest thing is how quiet it is. You have no buffeting. The car feels very smooth. It feels like you're in a luxury, well-damped car. But cooling, we need some cooling. Just because you get no airflow through the car. Oh, wow. Yeah. He says, kudos to IndyCar and PPG, there's, but there's definitely things that we can improve on and make better. He says, it'll be interesting on a road and street course in terms of perception of the corner and how you come into it. Um, he says, we'll need to see if there's an issue regarding where you look through it, but nothing yet. Visually, I want to see if you get more used to it because it does feel different. You're looking through quite a substantial amount of material, and it just takes a while for your eyes to adjust. The longer I ran, the more I adapted to it. Your brain and your eyes need to catch up with it. He says there was no prism effect from the sun glare. Um, they ran it um, in a combination of low sun and dark shadow, which is when it's you know hardest with visibility. He said there was no issues with that. You're going from complete blinding sunlight heading into turn one and in a block transformation going through the corner, and there was no real area of light that stopped your vision. It may have even helped a bit with the glare you typically get through your visor. Now, the one thing that he did say is that all of the drivers should act should get acclimatized to the screen before they, they roll it out. He said it could affect different guys in different ways. It's almost like something everyone needs to try before IndyCar implemented across the board. However, the president of competition and operations for IndyCar, Jay Fry, has said that it is possible that they could implement it this year. Wow. During the season. It's a bigger wow. Yeah. So we'll see where that goes. Cool. Um, back to calendars. Back to calendars. Back to calendars. Remember how last week we said that uh, Fuji was looking to push their date back, which, by the way, pushing it back in their terms, and I guess the FIA's terms means a week earlier, not later, which <laughs> is what you were assuming. They wanted to push the race back to its originally scheduled date um, to allow Fernando Alonso to drive it the race? Yes. Well, they pushed it back to allow Fernando Alonso to drive in the race. Can you imagine what it must be like to live your life where whole races and whole series of car races are willing to adjust their life around one specific person? How does that feel? Like, think about what that does to a person. Um, if you think about it, Fernando's probably not that shocked by it. J just from the perspective of if you look at the reception and the hype that he got when they announced the Indianapolis deal and the hype that has gone on with uh, him driving in the IMSA race at Daytona two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Not a huge shock. No. The hype that he gets from doing those types of things is one thing. But I'm talking about the fact that an entire series is willing to change their calendar around a single person. Here, let me put this into perspective for you. Think about your normal daily life at your job. You schedule meetings, correct? Mm -hmm. 
Now, you have the one guy on your team that you have to adjust your calendar around because he has to be at the meeting, and you bend your calendar around that one guy. Again, I go back to this is the guy that IndyCar set up a special rookie test session for private test session at Indianapolis just for him and nobody else. Oh, and by the way, they streamed it live online and a couple million people watched it. Because they all wanted to watch Fernando I mean, on a wall. I mean, come on. <laughs> I, I get it, but I still think it's a heady experience that, you know, he's now that guy that you, you adjust, everybody in the world adjusts their calendar around him. Well, to, to put this in perspective, Zach Brown at McLaren, executive director of McLaren, has explained the commitment that they have allowed Fernando to do with Toyota. Mm. Very important. He says, um, he stresses that Fernando has been loaned to Toyota. Loaned. Loaned. Um, And that he is a McLaren driver first and foremost. He said, Fernando is effectively restricted to just driving the Toyota race car. So as far as commercial appearances, sponsor commitments, things of that nature, it's very minimalized. His relationship with Toyota, he's on loan from us. We came to an arrangement with Toyota that is to allow him to race the car, but not to travel the globe having commercial commitments. It's everything from minimizing his travel to any potential sponsor conflicts. Now, this is where he takes a bit of a dig at Toyota. He says, everything from minimizing his travel to any potential sponsor conflicts. Toyota doesn't have many on there, so there aren't many sitting there today that are a conflict with McLaren. Not that McLaren has a whole lot either. I know, there's that issue too. But he goes on to say, but if they do find a partner that is conflicting with McLaren, we couldn't have Fernando walking around in competing sponsor attire. When you think of Fernando and you think of him as a McLaren F1 driver first and foremost. So, yeah. Now, whether or not the program had any downsides from McLaren's ex is not there's there's none of those he says what he will be doing on those weekends otherwise he wouldn't be testing in an f1 car he wouldn't be here on a simulator there's only so much he can do we have got everything we need on the f1 front so the weekend he would either be in a go-kart or golfing or whatever he wants to do he will instead be in a toyota wec car he wants to spend his spare time in race cars his poor cat (laughs) I mean, that poor cat he doesn't have anybody to, like, you know, hang out with. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll see, we'll see how that works out. I, I don't think that we're going to see Fernando as a grand champion in WEC in the coming season, which, yeah, I went through the calendar. They, they call their testing the prologue. Took me a bit before I realized what the hell they were talking about. I'm like, why would you call a race the prologue? It's the first race of the season. Why are you doing it? Um, but it base their season basically goes from I think it's Silverstone in 18 all the way through to Le Mans in 2019. That's the end of this coming season. Okay. So it includes two runs at Le Mans, two runs at I think Spa, and two runs at Silverstone, in addition to Fuji and Shanghai. 
Okay. It's it's not a big season. No, it's not a big season. And that's stretching over two years. It's not a big season. Huh? Which which kind of makes you wonder how you keep your drivers motivated and in shape. I mean, you've got to let them uh, participate in other series because otherwise, how do they stay motivated? I have no idea. I mean, I get that it's probably a lot of work to field a car that can take the punishment that these cars take um even though most of the races are six hour races there's only i think two 24 hour races and that's like le mans and possibly sebring and sebring may not be it's only it's 1500 miles okay and that's what they call the races the 1500 miles of sebring i don't even know how long that is off the top of my head i don't know i mean i'm sure that from an engineering standpoint that's a lot it's a lot harder, but yeah, to they've got to double up. They've got to be in like touring car and WEC or something to that. Effect. Yeah. So over to Formula One. Oh, we are we, we finally have, a Formula One podcast? We have other stuff to talk about. You know, things that had to do with Formula One. You know, we mentioned last week all of the news about um, getting rid of eliminating the grid girls and that they would no longer be part of the sport well the day after we posted our podcast formula one announced that to replace the grid girls would be grid kids which we'd heard being theorized what the grid kids are going to be is essentially um kids that are up and comers in the karting levels okay um, spend their time at the, the track, participating in all kinds of events around the track, and doing the responsibilities of holding the numbers and some of the other things. So exactly how it's going to look, we don't know, but it's all going to be folk, kids who are associated with karting. So further tying Formula One to the karting as its feeder series and, and that's I, I don't think that's wrong. No, not necessarily. Um, but here's one thing you can guarantee. You're going to see a lot more boys out there than girls. <laughs> you know, you will to some extent. Um, it is a combination of the local carding. Local is in that country. They're, they're carding organizing body who will be nominating kids to participate. Um, how that will necessarily work when you're talking about a large large countries like the United States and Australia and Brazil, are they just going to focus on the local region for the track or are they going to bring kids in from around the country? I don't know yet. It'll be interesting. Yeah. There was also, and because I don't, I, while I follow a lot of the, the um, a lot of Formula One, the teams and the various air on social media, I don't necessarily read a lot of the comments for good reason. Mm. Um, there was a lot of complaining and moaning and nasty, nasty comments that were fired at the sport and fired at many of the journalists who cover the sport over both of the announcements. Really? Yeah, well, it was that whole idea of you're getting rid of grid girls, grid girls, and the trolls came out. Seriously, it bothers me to no end the reliance on its tradition 
over what is right and proper. Well, I, I th- my reaction to the comments and the things that were said pretty much in a nutshell are this is why you don't ask the fans how to promote your sport. Because the fans are not necessarily looking at the things that make sense to build and grow your support. And you can scream and yell about how you need more passing or whatever it is, but it doesn't mean that the fans are going to tell you the right way to go and institute that. Or in this case, to grow your sport and build your fan base, you don't need the scantily clad women. You actually need to go and hook the kids at the young age so that they're lifelong fans and you get their money forever and ever and ever. I know. Which even Bernie didn't understand. Yeah, think about it. If you got 45 pounds a year from a 10-year-old, and uh-huh. he lived and followed 40, just 45 pounds a year from a 10-year-old through his 80th birthday, you'd have a significant amount of money from him. This is, this is where um, Formula One actually, when they want to figure out how to build and market the sport, they don't need to look at the alcohol companies or the tobacco companies or Rolex or any of those lifestyle brands. They need to look at Disney. <laughs> Stick with me here. Okay. Disney's idea and the way they market and why they have built themselves up the way they do is that they realize that to attract families, and, and some of the cruise lines have realized this also, to attract families and to attract those lifelong fans, you don't target the parents. You target the kids because the parents tend to make decisions like that in a way that is in line with what the kids want and what the kids are interested in. And that's why Disney targets so much of their marketing, not at parents, but at the kids, Mm -hmm. because the kids drive the the spending of the family. And. You know, you and I watched a documentary about Disney and the rise of Disney, mm-hmm. um, and that was one of the things that really struck me was that in the in the early fifties, late forties, early fifties, as post war prosperity was hitting the United States with the baby boom, um, Disney recognized at a gut level. I mean, man had no training in this type mm-hmm. of thing, but at a gut level, he realized that with disposable income increasing. The kids were the ones driving the spending of that money. Yeah. More so than at any other time in our history. Because there was prosperity that was unprecedented. Um, so, yeah, that was that's interesting. And I do agree with you. You don't have to become like Disney. But you do have to think about grabbing kids young because they become lifelong passionate fans. And look at any other sport that has the type of passionate fans that you really want. Look at the European football sports. Those team alliances are made in childhood. Mm-hmm. Look at American football sporting team alliances. This thing that just absolutely boggles my mind, if you look at the college-level football in this country – Think about the people that you know that are rabid fans, and it's really interiorly very apparent in the state of Ohio, that are rabid fans of Ohio State who not only have they never attended the university, no one in their family did. Yeah. Like they have no actual connection to the university 
but they're rabid fans. I don't understand that. I don't get it. I've never understood that. It's like saying that I have to be a University of Florida fan because I grew up in Florida. Well, I mean, Formula One does have that to some extent. Just look at Italy. Yes. I mean, the rabid Ferrari fandom of folks who can't afford a Ferrari, will never drive a Ferrari, have only seen them in passing, but Ferrari is Italy. Right. I mean, that's the only way to describe it. It is Italy. What is, their fans have a special name. The Tifosi. The Tifosi. Um, yeah. But I almost can, I can almost understand that, and maybe it's my own bias, and I will freely admit that. I can almost understand that the equation with Ferrari is Italy over this idea of I'm going to be this university's fan, but I have no connection to them. Yeah. You know, I, I but, but th- what, that part's what I don't understand. And, and and this is why Formula One needs to look at this as a whole as opposed to an individual team. Because while it's highly likely that Ferrari will remain in Formula One for a very long time, some it, it's not nearly as likely that a Haas or even a Mercedes will remain, will still be in the sport 10 years from now. Mm-hmm. So you need to build fans who are loyal to the sport first and the team second, as opposed to, say, um, any of the stick and ball sports, because it's highly unlikely that those teams, I mean, even if you look at like uh, soccer and, or football, if you want to insist on it in the UK, if you look at the premiership, if a team gets relegated because they can't remain at the top in the premiership, they don't lose their fan base and they don't disappear as an entity. They're just playing in a lower league. Right. And that would be the equivalent of like Manor having instead of dropped out of Formula One racing entirely. Went to Formula, Formula Two. Two. Yeah. 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 You're you're now relegated down to Formula Two, Formula Three. Um but I get it. But yeah, you're right. I think that I, I'm really pro grid kids. I think um Frequent commenter Phil was also in agreement that he liked the idea of grid kids. Um, it, in all on honesty, the, on the holding the signs, but getting them involved at such a young age. In, in all honesty, I'm fairly ambivalent to it, but I'm also fairly ambivalent to whatever they plan to do. Whether they left the girls in there or not, whether they pulled the girls out, whether they put men, whatever, it doesn't impact the race. It doesn't impact everything else that I... I don't watch Formula One for that. No. So I'm fairly ambivalent to whatever the hell they do with it. It's like, gee, are we going to go and have a flyover of commercial jets or are we going to have a flyover of the F-16 fighters? I don't care. But here's the thing, and some of it could be your own privilege. Yeah. But it's part of the pomp of of the series. It's a piece. Is it the whole pie? No. But it is a piece of that pie. And when you're not sitting from a position of privilege, when you see pieces that give a nod to something that is changing or developing, that's in the right direction, a la we're going to exchange models for devoted kids driving in the sport, you got to give them a thumbs up for that. 
I, I think where where I have truly developed my ambivalence from was when they brought out Michael Buffer. <laughs> that You've that got was to it. Forgive them for that. Only if they don't ever do it again. Well, I'll have to wait till the U.S. Grand Prix to make sure that they don't do that again. But I'm hoping that um, all of the unique facial haired leaders at Liberty Media have learned that that was not appreciated. The, the problem is the results were the, the response was fairly mixed. Including the British who are going, yeah, we don't really like it, but that's kind of America. So cool. The no, it's not. not America. It's not. It, it, and that's my that's my issue is, and you took umbrage with the Channel Four coverage too. Oh yeah. It's like how many different American stereotypes can and, and bad stereotypes could you come at us with? I mean, it would literally be like us going over to the to Silverstone and trying to do an entire intro in Cockney. Well, I mean, what, and in bad Cockney. What What bothered me most about the Channel Four coverage and uh, what What Channel Four did was they had an open, and and we we don't have it to share, but they had an open that was this very stereotypical western thing of, of, western. yeah it, it's basically it's what the british think of america and, and the british think of texas in particular and thought that it was hysterical and all great and whatever and then 30 minutes later we're slamming the whole idea of having michael buffer there and it was like well wait a minute you just turned around and played that that intro and thought it was wonderful but you didn't like having Michael Buffer there. Well, that's because it's and and and, and you said you didn't like and and you said you didn't like having Michael Buffer there because it was this big, loud, in-your-face American production. They don't like the fact that we're big, loud, and in-your-face. I mean, truthfully. Yeah. It's why we get along with so many Brits. <laughs> Because we're not big, loud, and in your face. But, yeah, it, it's – I think that when you get the chance and the opportunity to go to these other countries for the races, you have an internal obligation to not pander to the lowest stereotype of the country. It is your – you're obligated to – bring to the public media specifically to the video audience that are not present the best of the country while i agree with that where that falls on its face when it came to this year's race in the u.s is who were the organizers for that race they were american who are the who is in charge of formula one group now the Americans. Uh-huh. And they did it. They're idiots. That's the problem. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Let's talk about Russians. <laughs> hey, could we interfere with the Russian Grand Prix? <laughs> I've been thinking about this for a while. <laughs> nice. Come up. Uh, well, actually, let, let's look and see if there's an EPRI coming up. Oh, yeah. We could totally do the fake <laughs> Okay. Moving on. Ser Sergey Sorotkin. Yes. His backers are saying that while the exact details of the financial arrangement that has brought Sergey to Williams is confidential, 
and I cannot talk about it. What they are saying is that all of that money is going towards development of the car. As opposed to paying for the Claire paying for the repairs when it thing gets damaged, or in the case of of Lance Stroll's money, buying the team a new simulator and refitting the wind tunnel and that kind of thing. Do you think that Williams is like a university where they have to put somebody's name on things? Like, is it the Lance Stroll simulator or the a university or Boca Community Hospital? Also possible. <laughs> <laughs> yes, possible. yes, it's an inside joke. But if if you find yourself at the Boca Raton Community Hospital, every single door, window, wall, desk, seat, chair, bed, oxygen tank is all sponsored by somebody. Well, that's what you get when you have a nonprofit hospital. Yeah, and it's labeled oh, as well. to who the sponsor, all the elevator, you name it. Which it, you know, it's it it's really a, overwhelming when they put labels on the individual buttons for the elevator. I mean that 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 went that was, over the top. That was that was odd. <laughs> that was really odd. And and you know, every pin in the the place is also labeled. I mean, it's 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 they have gone a little overboard. Yep. Um, onto engines though, away from sponsoring and and, and vroom we're, vroom. We're, we're down yeah. to the vroom vroom now. A little of that. Uh, there have been some changes to engine rules. Did they get more than two? No, unfortunately ah. not. Um, three notable changes. One w- was going back to the issue that n- none of the fans thought was an issue, but apparently is an issue. Uh, there's limits on oil burning. Oh, that whole idea of burning oil to get more speed. Or more power. More and, power. Yeah. So they keep accusing Mercedes of doing new regulations have been introduced to help the FIA keep a closer eye on what the teams are doing when it comes to oil burning. Teams must supply the measurement of the oil level of the main tank to the FIA at all times of the event. The mass of oil contained in each tank, with the exception of the main oil tank, must now be declared to the FIA one hour before the start of the race. Active control valves between any part of the power unit and the engine intake air will be banned. Um, So now they've got sump breather pipes feeding excess oil back into the engine through the intake rather than out the back of the car um, to prevent systems from diverting oil into the engine for a power boost. Uh, Teams will be limited to a single oil specification per engine at a given Grand Prix, which must be declared before the event gets underway. This prevents teams from using a qualifying oil specification for extra power and switching to a different type for the race. But there's also a stricter definition of what oil should be. Okay. So set characteristics to ensure that it is being used purely for lubrication, cleaning, and cooling, and not for any power boost. Yeah. Did you ever think in your entire life <clears throat> that you would have to define what oil is? <laughs> they, uh, it also says in Article 20.1.2 of the technical regulation, the presence of any component that cannot be rationally associated with the defined functions of the engine oil will be deemed unacceptable. Now, there's a further clampdown on alternative uses of other fluids as well as oil. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
So new Article 5.1.12 of the Technical Regulations makes it clear that any breather fluids must exit the car at the rear and cannot be used, uh, cannot be recycled for use in the engine. It states all power unit breather fluids may only vent to atmosphere and must pass through an orifice which is positioned rearward, rearward of the rear axle center line and less than 400 millimeters above the reference plane and less than 100 millimeters from the car center plane. No breather fluids may re-enter the power unit. So the idea here is that I guess they think that teams may have been using power boosting additives in breather fluids that could then be put back in the system to be burned by the engine as they came back through. Okay, so when we had when we first launched the oil burning controversy last year, the pundits said that the boost from burning oil is actually very very limited. Mm-hmm. But and you run the risk of burning oil. Yeah. Um but it's this breather fluids, these other fluids that could possibly actually have a better, a bigger impact. Um, that that was really where the concern could be, and that was just not as yes. But keep in mind where the concern is here. The concern isn't that like in the closed loop system of the engine, say. The transmission fluid. I don't even know if there's transmission. But the transmission fluid was being fed back into the engine. That's not the concern. Mm -mm. The concern is that the transmission fluid that was run through the engine that was fired out of the exhaust is being sucked back into the car to be reused and burned somehow. (laughs) It's already been shot out of the car, and they found a way to suck it back in. Yeah. That's not the way I read that. That no, That's what the, the addition of any substance, and this is from Article 5.14.2, the addition of any substance other than fuel into the air destined for combustion is forbidden. Exhaust gas recirculation is forbidden. Okay, that part I understand. <laughs> but the breather fluids is an injected fluid that runs through, and then as it, is aspirated goes out the back end of the exhaust but they're saying you can't take take that back because they're saying the the recycling of fluids right but you can't take the fluids back through to burn them you have to exhaust them out and you can't then suck the exhaust back in to burn it 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 amazes me the way these cars work it really does but they've also gone over engine temperatures oh oh yeah New Article 5.6.8 of the Technical Regulations state that the engine plenum air, which is defined officially as from plenum entry to cylinder head temperatures, must now hit a minimum target. Engine plenum, air temperature must be more than 10 degrees centigrade above ambient temperature. When assessing compliance, the temperature of the air will be the lap average recorded by an FIA-approved and sealed sensor located in an FIA-approved location situated in the engine plenum during every lap of the race. While some laps will not count for this average, like, oh, the first lap of the race, laps carried out behind a safety car and laps with a pit stop, the FIA wants an overall picture of what teams are doing with the air going into the engine. 
The requirement for teams to keep above a minimum temperature suggests that there was a scope for the air to be cooled, which would help the performance of the turbo hybrid engine. Hotter air holds less oxygen than cooler air, meaning that the turbo will have to work harder, spin faster, and compress more air to produce the same amount of boost than it would get if things were cooler. If the turbo is already at its maximum potential, then it will mean that engine performance gets reduced as the air temperature increases. My head hurts. <laughs> So yeah, they're they're making changes in ways that we can't imagine. <laughs> so back to my bigger concern: only two okay. engines, huh? <laughs> hey, speaking of changes to engines, Renault has said that McLaren will have no influence on the engine until twenty twenty at the earliest. That sounds uh, problematic. But then again, did they really have much influence on the Honda engine that kept blowing up? Yes. What specifically Cyril Abitbull is talking about is, um, and where McLaren did have influence, and it was disastrous the first two years, was the overall shape of the engine and how it's mounted to the car and how it's packaged. If you'll remember, McLaren touted the first two years of that car, that size zero packaging around the engine, and everyone said that, yeah, you know, that's probably going to be an issue for cooling. Yeah. But Honda designed the engine to accommodate that. Renault is telling McLaren, uh, no. <laughs> We're building this engine. You, we have two other teams who, who are getting this engine and relying on a steady and constant spec, and we have designed this year's engine and probably next year's engine as well based on what their needs and what their requirements are, and McLaren will adapt to them. And maybe when we get to 2020 and we look at that end or when we're working on designs and specifications for the 2020 engine, then we'll include McLaren's comments. But until then, McLaren builds around what we give them and not the other way around. Interesting. So just as a random thought, because okay. it's funny because it hit me just now, what happens if Toro Rosso actually figures out how to make the Honda engine work? That's a prediction for later, um, for a couple of weeks down. But my theory is if Honda gets it together, and, and, and we, we, we've talked about this last year a little bit, if Honda gets it together and Toro Rosso sees success with that engine, it's Red Bull that moves to become the works team. Well, that part, I, I mean, that I don't... I mean, that, that's, that's what's going to happen is Red Bull will dump Renault because they've been upset with Renault since the turbo hybrid years. They're going to dump them and finally walk away because that's the only option for them to go with unless Renault turns it around this year. And Renault thinks that they're going to, but they've been saying that the last couple of years. But in, unless Renault turns it around this year, they're gone. And, and they're at least gone until the 2021 regulations are finalized and they get clarity as to what Aston's going to do. Right. But I get all of that. I just mean in the short term, what the pundits will handle and say, if in 2018, isolate 2018, Toro Rosso gets 
a Honda engine that has been notoriously awful to perform. And McLaren can't get the Renault engine to perform. I mean, think about that. That would shine this huge light on internal problems within McLaren that have been hidden based on the fact that Honda keeps blowing things up. I, I don't think that that's a possibility. Okay. I think the engine will be better. It has to. It can't be worse. I, it, it can't be much worse. I think the engine will be better, but I don't think Renault's going to end up at a point where they're not going to be right behind. At, at very worst case, that they will not be right behind the Mercedes and the Ferrari. I don't. I don't think it'll happen. Um, so some sponsorship news. McLaren got a sponsor? They did, but before we even talk about that, Mercedes did some, had some changes over on the sponsorship side. Mercedes? Yeah, so for the last several years, uh, Mercedes has had a sponsorship deal with Hugo Boss, and Hugo Boss providing team wear, travel wear, things of that nature to the team. Right. Um... Hugo Boss last year announced that they were um, rethinking their plans within Formula One and were throwing more towards Formula E. Um, so Mercedes went out and got themselves somebody else. They went to Tommy Hilfiger. Okay, just imagine for a minute. Okay. You know what Hugo Boss's clothing looks like. It's very refined, very dark, Yeah. Um, very known for their tuxes and their suits and mm -hmm. big boy clothes. And you know what Tommy Hilfiger clothing looks like? It looks like rich kids on a boat with pastel colors and light-colored pants all rolled up with deck shoes. Yeah. Yeah, you know. I, okay. I, I strongly doubt that the style of the team wear will change. Again, let's now look over to Williams and who their partner is. Hackett London. Mm-hmm. Hackett London is about the Saville Row of the Saville Row of clothes. I mean, it is every bit as refined and buttoned down and formal as you can possibly get from British clothing. Um, and it doesn't really have an impact on the team wear that the team wears. I just want to see Lewis in the pastel pink shirts. Knowing Lewis, he probably has a closet full of them. I bet he does not. <laughs> okay. The pastel pink button downs with the green. Uh, All right. He, probably not preppy. <laughs> probably not the full preppy look, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Now, to your earlier comment, McLaren actually does have a sponsor. No. Uh, they have announced a partnership with Dell Technologies, who is going to be supplying them with computers and electronics through the season. Very cool. Yeah. But not a title sponsor. It's not McLaren Dell, no, is it? No, it is not a title sponsor, but it is um, a sponsor. They will appear on the uh, on the car. Oh, there nice. will be logos on the car, and they are providing technology to the team. So some track news. Wait, you missed one of them. I missed one of them. Oh, yes, I did. <laughs> I did. Well, it's because I have the release. I don't have the, the link up in my thing. Oh. So I have that out. Sorry. Haas got themselves a sponsor. Yay! 
go Haas. Um, Who? Somebody we know? No. I can see it in your face. We have no idea who this person is. I'm sure somebody knows. Uh, Jack and Jones, which is a menswear brand, will be seen on every Haas One team member and its race cars during the season as part of a new partnership. Now, who do they have to thank for that partnership? Um, Kevin Magnuson, apparently. Um, they've had a long-standing commitment to Kevin Magnuson with previous team sponsorships. So it, it's taken them about a year to finally get them over onto the cars. Um, but, yeah, they're going to be outfitting the team in team wear. Very cool. We'll have to look up who they are. But I never thought of Kevin Magnuson as the bastion of fashion. So interesting to find out that he like has a fashion company behind him. Yeah, I, I got, nothing got nothing there. I got nothing. I'm sorry. All right, now to my next story. Yes. The folks at the Kayalami circuit in South Africa. Yes, it's important because I had no idea where that was when yeah, you first I, I mentioned it. Point out. Um, it was the host of the South African Grand Prix <laughs> up until 1993. Um, the circuit is still an active circuit, but has not hosted Formula One. It no longer has FIA Grade One certification. Okay. Well, and it wasn't some place that Charlie Whiting visited during his vacation to check out a circuit. Um, not recently. However, the um, well, actually, the the circuit was sold to Porsche South Africa in 2014. Okay. Um, the I think the managing director of the circuit, Christo Kruger, says that Kyalami would welcome Formula One at the Kyalami Grand Prix circuit again. We think there's a heritage that we would like to see back again. I also think the African continent deserves an actual Formula One race again. But the prohibitive cost of hosting Formula One is really the bugbear. It's just not financially feasible in the current structure to host Formula One. I thought Liberty was trying to make that better. Well, that's where I think that the comments are kind of interesting. He says, Kyalami remains there as a facility, and we are prepared to enter into negotiations and discussions to upgrade or to change the actual circuit to what is palatable for Formula One racing. It's an FIA Grade 2 track at the moment. We will upgrade to Grade 1, but there needs to be commitment in terms of a long-term future for Formula One in South Africa. But we do not have the financial wherewithal to be the promoter for a Formula One race. Which really kind of says to me of, hey, we'll host you. Give us an attractive package. Right. That's really what I think he's saying there. Promote it for me. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, you give, you, you've given these sweetheart deals. I think you're most likely to deal than Bernie ever was. Yeah. So, hey, let's talk. That's what I think his comments actually are. That probably sounds right. So... I don't have a our, our last piece isn't so much a story. The last piece is a reminder that we are coming up to the start of the season in a couple more weeks. Um, about a, actually, just over a month now. Yeah, I was going to say, I didn't pull up the exact number of days as I have been counting them down. We have testing that starts in about two weeks. Um, last week of February and, or, or the last two weeks of February is testing, which means that we're now at a point that I am seriously trying to build out our list of questions for predictions for this coming season. 
So I, I've got some in mind. I have to go and write them down and, and, and get the vault prep to, to take them. Um, you have to find the vault. Is that what you're doing? No, I, they know exactly where they're going, the same as we've done the last couple of years. Um, now, Phil last year requested that we provide the questions in advance so that the, the home listening audience around the globe can play in. And I'm sorry, I'm not going to do that. And I'm not going to do that only because we don't necessarily know what all the questions are going to be until like the morning of. And along the same lines, we I don't necessarily want Trisha and the boy thinking about their answers in advance. See, and this is where I think it's inherently unfair. You think about your answers a long time. I do, but some of it's also because I'm the one who builds the questions. If if you had input into building of those questions, it would be a different story. But what I want to throw out there to our listeners, and, and the, the two things that, that I'm going to do this year, um, one is once we have that list finalized and we've put together our predictions, I'll go ahead and I will post a version of the list for you to, to download and decide your own answers and whether you want to save that into a vault for yourself or share those answers in the comment for the post so that we can refer back to them at the end of the season and we will tally your answers yeah for you, like um i don't i don't think we're going to do it in individually it depends on how many we get back we may just do the the listening public says this okay. but the one thing that i do want to throw out there is if you have an idea for a prediction question share it with us um, we'll go through now. I, I'm not going to guarantee that we will use all of them, but if we select your question and your question isn't one that was already on my list, um, we will give you credit for the question. That's the promise. Credit. We will give credit you credit. A lot. Yes, we will give you credit in the show that that you were the submitter of that question. Now, I won't necessarily use all of them. Um, we will we will go through a highly unscientific screening process to decide which questions we're going to use. And by we, he means him, because I don't get to participate in this. Did we miss that no, part you, of the story? For, for the submitted stuff, you will, because you know if you actually watch the Facebook page or the website, they're going to be out there. These and are going to be publicly shared. So they will be publicly shared, and you'll get to see those. Okay. But it still will be highly unscientific because <laughs> I don't know how we'd scientifically the, make that choice. So. Did the lawyers require that you say that too? No. I mean, did you have to have a conference with the lawyers before we recorded this? No. Okay. So on that. So although, although when I did speak to the lawyer, the lawyer did tell me that they represented the show and not me. Right. <laughs> you are unrepresented. Okay. On that note. Please submit your prediction questions to either the Facebook page or in a comment um, on the website, and Michael will organize there from there. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll keep that open for the next couple of weeks. And we will officially close the vault on the prediction answers, what, at the first race? No, we're going to close it. Um, we're we're going to record our predictions the week after uh, test well once testing is over so you need to have your questions in before the end of the final test okay there's that but the will then post all of the questions for our fans to respond with their 
predictions. Right. That those will not be stored in our vault. They our are vault not. is only our question, oh. our stuff, um, because that way we can't cheat. <laughs> I want to cheat. I know. Um, no, I was thinking that if we were going to close fan submissions so that they can't cheat, that it would be by the time of the first race. Because they have to submit it back to us so that we could comment on fans say. Yeah, we'll figure out those rules when we get there. <laughs> We're going to follow my rules that I've just made up. All right. Um, and on that, I think we should start calling this a show. Oh, you don't? You do not want to talk about Grand Prix Driver? Oh, you said this was our last thing. Well, it was the last thing I had. So have have you seen the entire series of Grand Prix Driver on Amazon Prime? We have. <laughs> 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 we did watch it Friday. We binged watched it. It, it is um, not a I think every episode is maybe about 30 minutes. So you can get through it about two, three hours. Huh? Yeah. Um, um, they are not kidding when they say this was fully behind the scenes. Now, it, it was truly behind the scenes up until testing. Right. And, then, and then the doors got closed a little bit more than I expected. Um. It was clear from watching the video and, and or, or from watching the series and based on the name of it that the original intention of the show was truly to be the focus on of Stoffel Van Torn becoming a Grand Prix driver. However, there was enough other things going on in the start of the season that I think the, the producers realized, oh, crap. That's not where the story is. We, we've got more here than just Stoffel. Because the first two episodes really do kind of center around Stoffel's experience. Um, and then we start to really dig into McLaren itself. Not only dig into McLaren, and, and yes, there's a lot about the, the preparation and the logos and all of that stuff. And the series actually starts with setting up for the board meeting to fire Ron Dennis. Yes, that was cool. You ever seen an episode where they talk about preparing for the Queen's state dinners, where they have a specific ruler that's the distance between the chairs and the distance between the silverware and the cutlery and everything like that? I have, but I've also been to Buckingham Palace and seen the state dining room set up for a state dinner. Yes. Well, they have their own measurement stick for the distance between the chairs yes. and where the notepads sit in the boardroom. It was exactly like watching like the <laughs> beginning of Downton Abbey when they're setting up the dinner table. I mean, it's that kind of precision. Yeah, but it starts off with letting Ron go and bringing in the new management team and introducing the new management team and going forth with um, setting up the car and building the car and the seat fitting and everything that goes into seat fitting for a driver. Now, we, we've seen seat fitting before when NBC Sports did that special on Sebastian Vettel. Mm -hmm. And all that they really showed was Sebastian sat in this tub and – they, they got the contours right and, and made him a seat. There's a lot more to seat fitting than just right. making a seat. Because <laughs> then they said the seat was like the last thing that they do. Yeah. I mean, they're talking about bushings and the distance in millimeters. 
Um, getting the steering wheel in the, the appropriate location and the appropriate setup, making sure that there was the, the right level of clearance when he turned the wheel from on the side of the cockpits and where everything was so that he still had good visibility. And Yeah. And the, the, the great line in there is something about um, if something is out, that's what you wind up focusing on during the race. And it and slows so you down. And it slows you down. You lift a little earlier. You stay off the gas because you're you're thinking about the fact that if you turn the wheel, you're going to hit your knuckle, and that's not cool. I was, I mean, the amount of detail and detail you don't think about I mean, mm-hmm. seriously. Um, I I never thought about it though. It made perfect sense to me. But when they put, they called it the fuel cell, but it's essentially yes. the gas tank, which is a bag. Mm-hmm. In the car, Stra- they they strap it all nice and tight so they can get it in a tiny hole. Yeah, and then cut the straps and it expand. They expand it and, and strap it down, and then screw it down <clears throat> when it's filled up with. But it's it's a bag. Yeah, um, and having to wedge that into a specific spot in the car, it was like I never thought about it being like collapsible like that. But but you've seen that before, many 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 years ago. Think back to Dirty Jobs with Micro. He did a job at uh, an Air Force base on a refueling tanker. Right. And they climbed into the tanker, and that's what they were doing was they had brought the the cell into the tanker, and they were strapping it. They were lacing it into the frames of the tanker. Right. Yes. I mean, yes, I know it's a thing, but (laughs) it it never dawned on me. I mean, it was like— it was like it made perfect sense when I saw it, but it was like it never dawned on me that that's a bag. Um, or the gold tape the gold to tape. insulate the heat from the fuel tank. Oh, yes. At 1,700 pounds a roll. And it's a tiny roll. It's a tiny roll. Um, the amount of input that goes into the livery. I mean, mm-hmm. that just they brought board members in to approve Well, they brought the Mansur OJ in. To approve the orange livery. I mean, that was just wild to me. Um, and then all the production value into the unveil and the, mm-hmm. the, I mean, just, it was unprecedented access. I can confirm you do not see the bathroom. <laughs> I know everybody was, you know, concerned that I might not get to see a bathroom. I still have not seen the bathroom at the McLaren Technology Center. But you do see quite a bit of the McLaren Technology Center really in a do. lot of different areas, including the private executive dining room. Yes. But, yeah, the, the, the first two episodes, the focus is around Stoffel. It's around the build McLaren side of the build of the car and getting things set up and a layout and hitting the timelines, which they missed, uh, but hitting all their timelines and, and just assembling and building the car with the last two episodes being Honda and unveiling the car and finally testing and things rapidly turning south um, right from the beginning when they fit the engine into the car and it doesn't start. Mm-hmm. And this is where I really got to give credit to Amazon and McLaren and the producers because normally when you watch a reality show like this, that you know when it's on Discovery or one of the networks or something like that, there is a lot of escalated drama and tension and you know the narrator of will it really start? The pressure's on, and you know we got to meet the. Yes, Michael Douglas was narrating. There was no comment at all. No. 
it was, we're here to start the engine. We're going to see what happens. Yeah. And it didn't. Well, it didn't remote start. They had to do it manually. They had to do it manually, but they ended the episode with it not starting. Right. That was a little bit dramatic. <clears throat> it, it was, but it wasn't a fake level of tension that, it wasn't a manufactured level of tension of, you know, it's really concerning as to whether or not it's going to start, and then it actually starts. There, there was none of that. Do you remember the scene, and I don't remember if it was in the third episode or the fourth episode, probably the fourth, of the two pit crew mechanics that we'd seen earlier? Because they went through pit practice. Mm-hmm. And pit practice was amazing to watch. Yes. I mean, seriously, if you get nothing out of that, just rewatch that pit practice part because it was <laughs> phenomenal. Um, but the two two of the guys from the pit practice were sitting in the canteen eating like lunch. Or I was snack. towards the end of it. Um, and they were talking about basically the morale at McLaren. Yeah, and this was, was the last episode. It was, I mean, uncensored, unfiltered. You know, you work this hard. Basically, the net net was you work this hard for this crap. And that yeah. was, I mean, it was like. Where that wow. was and, and, and the timeline of everything, this was after they had taken the car to testing and had the two failures. They'd gotten all the way through testing and Fernando, and, and they'd only gotten about 21 laps out of the car. Um, it was slow. They were having the power issues. They were having the oil issues. They went through three engines in two days. Um, they knew things were going to be a disaster. Um, that was where that comment was being made. It was also where the other very, um, uh, very interesting comment came from, and I just drew the blank. Uh, French, I can see his face. Frenchman, dark hair, came from Lotus, was team principal. Eric Boulier. Thank you, Eric Boulier. Wow, since I have no idea what the comment you're talking about. No, where are you going? He he made the comment that it takes years to build a Formula One team and you can destroy it in six months. And that's what they, that was the level of concern that they had had at this point because the car had done so poorly in, in testing. Fernando made comments that led them to be extremely concerned that he wasn't going to finish the season. Or Um, start. no, they they were con- they were convinced he was going to start the season. They didn't think he was going to finish the season, um, and they had started to express concerns that you know once the team starts to have these issues and once teams start to fall apart, well now the other team the, the sharks start circling and now the other teams start poaching talent and they can get that talent cheap because they know it's good but the team's not doing well. Right. And that, that was their concern at this point of the team completely disintegrating as things continue to get worse. So anyway, despite all that we have just shared about the show, there is so much more in it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that everyone should drop what they are doing and watch all four episodes. It's a time for a mental health day. It is a time to take time <laughs> off from work. This is binge watching television because I believe that the first car launch is on the 15th of February. It is. It is in four days. It is in four days. So you have four days to watch this because it, it will be very well synced with the timing of everything that is going on. So watch it in the next four days and then come back and tell us how right we are that it was an incredible series. Now, I've also got to say, the the 
way this was, how well this was done, and and the insight that it gave us, truly unique. Mm-hmm. I really encourage. I mean, it's great to see we we had McLaren do this and do this without knowing that it was going to be as challenging a time that it was going to be. I'd love to see Mercedes do something like this. I'd love to see Williams do something like this. Better than that, Formula One group open the doors and you do this at your level. Mm-hmm. Have a race organizer do this. What's it like for uh, to, to get, I mean, we've never actually heard a race organizer and a race promoter throw open the doors and go, this is what it takes to put together a Formula One race. Oh, I think it would be awesome to do all of those things. I'd love to see it happen at a Haas, you know, I mean, sure. Any of any any of the teams, I would love to see what was going on. Even better. Hey, I I, I got it. BBC, especially BBC, should do this. Maybe one of the the American networks, but I could see definitely BBC doing this. Formula One, and you don't even have to call it Formula One. You can call it something else. A mockumentary type show, <laughs> a la. Um, what is that, W1C? D- W1A or um, the the preceding one was the Olympic, and I don't remember the name of the Olympic, but the, the Hugh Bonneville mockumentary or The Office, that kind of a thing. There's so many storylines that they could do. Oh, yes. I mean, from the team that's struggling to the, the team that's doing really well to the lunatic owner. to I mean, you could go in so many different directions with this. Get working on that, guys. I mean, somebody who, who knows a producer, you, you need to go pitch. I can't write this, but you need to go. I mean, you need to go pitch this. This this is an award-winning idea. You know, we know somebody who could write it. I know somebody who could pitch it, but I don't know if they could write it. Uh, we've talked to somebody that could write it. Mm. Okay, then. All right. And on that, we should definitely call it a show. Yes. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. (laughs) Okay. Are they all gone? Is is everybody gone? (laughs) Huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. A little break? Okay.